Hi, this is Pastor Paul Steele from Bethlehem Church in Austin, Minnesota. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. And as we open the Bible together, my prayer is that this will be just the right message for this time in your life. May it be a blessing to you in this Advent season. Now, on to the sermon. All righty, we are continuing with Advent. And the last two weeks we've been in Luke. Uh, Today we're going to transition over to Matthew. So Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And this morning I want to start with this question. What makes a person moral? What makes a person moral? So in 2014... A uh, research from the University of Cologne in Germany, led by Dr. Wilhelm Huffman, uh, came out. And uh, what they did was that they took 1,252, so 1,252 people from the United States and Canada and had them self-report. So first of all, they had them describe themselves on a spectrum of very religious to not very religious, and on a spectrum of very conservative to not very, to very liberal. And then they had them self-report uh, several times a day on moral actions that they themselves did or that they witnessed. So either things that were good or things that were bad, and then how they felt about those things. And what they discovered with this research was that it didn't matter if you were religious or not religious, everybody was basically equally good and bad. And what they also found was... uh, so, so two things that, that stood out to them. So one was that uh, what was different wasn't their actions. It was the response or the emotions that people felt. Religious people were a, hard, uh, were a lot more likely to be harsh with either themselves or with the people doing immoral acts and much more likely to praise and find uh, good things to say about moral things that they saw or that they did. They also noticed that, uh, that for liberals and conservatives, so liberals, when they looked at moral uh, activities or actions, they were looking for things that dealt with fairness and honesty. For conservatives, they looked for moral actions that dealt with loyalty and sacredness or sanctity, which makes a whole lot of sense, right? This, is, this corresponds with uh, Jonathan Haidt's work that he talks about in, uh, in The Righteous Mind, which means then that when we're having these political policy discussions, it's not really a moral, immoral discussion that we're having. 
because we're bringing these things from our own perspective. And you see that with, with the, the, even the abortion debate, right? Conservatives will say it's about the sanctity of life. Liberals will say it's about fairness, about a person's right to choose. They're both seeing it as a moral argument, but they're coming from it from a different perspective. The other thing that they noticed through this is that when people saw good behavior, moral behavior, they were more likely to go out and do things similar. We need examples in our lives. But what I found, and the reason I talk about all this, and the reason why I bring this up, and the point of all this, is that simply to declare one to be that you are religious, that you believe certain things about the world, that you believe certain things about God, is not enough to transform your life. It's not enough to compel you to do good. And really, this shouldn't surprise us at all. Because we believe that God created a good, a good world, right? And that we as human beings are created in God's image, which means that there is something within us that wants to do right, that wants to do good, that wants to love people. But we also believe that we live in a world that's been corrupted by sin, which means that with all of our good intentions, there are going to be times when we act selfishly, when we do things that hurt other people. This research falls right in predictably with what we discover and find and read in the Bible. Like, we shouldn't be surprised by this. Religion and belief are not enough to transform our lives, to make us the people that God wants us to be. So what does? What do we need? What truly makes us moral beings or the, the type of people that God created us to be? Here at Advent, right? Advent is this season when we meditate and think and prepare for the first coming of Jesus. So we prepare for this celebration of Christmas and remembering the, the time that Jesus came as a way to prepare our hearts, a way for us to prepare our lives for his return. See, we are hopeful about the second coming of Jesus because... We know that God kept his promise to send the Messiah the first time. And the purpose of the Messiah, the purpose of Jesus, 
is to restore God's good creation to the way he originally desired it. Which means that, that Jesus has to save us from sin. Not only our personal sin. Sometimes that's what we focus on in church, that Jesus came and saved us from our sins. Yeah, that's true. But the bigger issue that Jesus came to save us from is sin. The sin that has corrupted God's good creation. That has made us these dualistic beings who sometimes do good and sometimes do bad. So what is needed for us to be the people that God wants us to be? How do we make that journey? How do we become transformed in that way? Well, I think that as we look at our text this morning, we look at the person of Joseph. We don't know a whole lot about Joseph, Jesus' father. The, the text, the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot to go on. But I think as we look at Joseph this morning, we will begin to understand the road that we need to take in order to be not just moral people, but the people God wants us to be. So let's take a look at our text, Matthew chapter 1, starting with verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, starting with verse 18. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins." All, this, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Then when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But they did not have sexual relations with her. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. There's so much here that we miss simply because of culture. We live 2,000 years later. We live in a vastly different culture than that they lived in. And so we know a little bit about things, but there's also things that we just kind of have to we speculate on. Well, if this was true, then perhaps this is the way it was. So here's to, if this was a typical Jewish arranged marriage, 
Mary would have been about 14 years old, and Joseph was about 18 years old. And because it was arranged marriage, that meant that their families, their parents, especially their fathers, were involved in all of this. They would have had to say in what was happening. And it's interesting that from what we can tell, couples, even engaged couples, which engagement, which was a pretty big deal because when a couple got engaged, there was a price that was paid from the, the husband's family to the wife's family. So there's already been some transaction that has taken place. That's why despite the New Living Translation just talking about engagements, uh, because the New Living Translation is trying to smooth things out and help people understand, given our context. But that's why other translations talk about there needing to be a divorce, that, that Joseph was divorcing, because this is already a legal coupling thing that has gone on. It's a big deal. But in, in Galilee, so in the area of Nazareth, an engaged couple, an engagement could last up to a year, were not allowed to be together in private. So in this, up to this point, Joseph and Mary, they knew each other. They came from a small town. They knew each other, but they didn't spend time in private. And so there was, no, there was no private conversation Mary could have with Joseph and say, hey, you know what? That's why other translations, again, here the New Living doesn't say, it just says that she became pregnant, but other translations will say it was discovered that she was pregnant or it was found out that she was pregnant. Now, we had this discussion in Sunday school, and this is kind of my, my version of the timeline. So last week, remember, Angel comes to Mary, tells Mary that she's going to have a son. She, it's, it's going to be from God, the Holy Spirit. Uh, she goes off to visit her relative Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John, John the Baptist, and she stays there for three months. She comes back three months later, pregnant. It's discovered that she's pregnant. It's found out that she's pregnant. And there's this big discussion between families. What's going to happen now? Because if Mary has been unfaithful, then Mary's family owes Joseph's family for all this. They have to pay damages. And Joseph is working through this. Ultimately, he's 18 in that culture. That means he, he does have a say. He doesn't have to rely totally on his father, on his parents' permission. So he has to work through what is it that he should do in this. What should he do? And so here we find a very interesting 
word that helps us understand who Joseph is. And verse 19, Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man. Other translation says a righteous man. I prefer righteous. Joseph is a righteous man. What does that word righteous mean? It means that he is committed, he's faithful to the covenant that God has established with Israel through Moses. He is committed to that covenant. In the last two weeks, we've talked about this idea that God is a covenant God and that the foundation of the covenant is this word, this Hebrew word, Hesed, which means God's loyal love. I think at the core of who Joseph is, at the core of his being a good man, at the core of his being a righteous man, is this idea of loyal love. Joseph was faithful, he was committed to God. Above everything else, he was committed to following the God of his ancestors, to keeping the covenant. That's who he was. But because he had this loyal love, that also spills out into how he treats other people. And as he faces this dilemma of, what do I do with Mary? He could have, according to the law, he could have brought her up on charges and had her stoned. That didn't happen very often. Yeah, the law allowed for it, but it did. those types of things didn't happen. He could have brought her up on charges, took her in front of the judge, in front of the court, and made a big deal of that, and his family would have gotten a lot of money in return. But the text here says he didn't want to disgrace Mary. There was a fondness, there was a love that he had for this girl that was to be his wife. A love for her. And and like, I can't put her through this. And so his decision was just to divorce her quietly. So the law of Moses allowed for a certificate of divorce to be made by, the, by, the, by two witnesses. So, so all Joseph needed was two witnesses to say, yeah, I want this marriage to be over. I don't want this marriage to go through. You know, we're going to do this divorce. And he could have done it quietly. He could have justified it by saying, hey, Mary's going to be taking care of her family because Mary, as a single young lady with a baby and that culture had zero options she could have been taken care of by her family until her parents died and then if she had siblings maybe she was going to be put into a very tough spot but because 
Joseph was a righteous man and kind of had this reputation too to protect. This is the route that he went, goes on. He was a righteous man. You know what we need? We don't need a high moral standard. Sometimes that's what we think. Oh, we need this high moral standard. God gave Israel a high moral standard, and they kept on going under it. In fact, that's what the New Testament writers say is the problem with the law. The law shows us what God wants us to do, but it has no capability of making us do it. What we need more than anything else, if we are going to be the people God created us to be, is this one thing. A commitment to God. Faithfulness to God. Loyal love to God. Because when we have that, when we're committed to God above everything else in this world, it's going to shape how we treat one another. It's going to tr- shape how we respond to the things going on in this world. More than anything else, we need a high commitment to God. That we're going to follow God no matter what. Because if we just base our relationship with God on our morality, then we're going to end up just like the religious leaders of Jesus' day. We're going to be harsh with those who don't live up to it. But if we're truly righteous, if we're committed to God above everything else, then we will have develop a heart of compassion, the heart that God has, And the reason why John says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Right? That's who we will become. We will have a love and compassion for others. Not only was Joseph righteous, but Joseph was also receptive. So Joseph had made this plan. He had wrestled. How, How long had he wrestled with what to do? I don't know. But at some point, he comes up with this plan. I'm going to divorce Mary. I'm going to do it quietly. That was what he did. But God had other plans. And he sends an angel to, G- to Joseph in a vision. Now, isn't it interesting? He does this after Joseph has wrestled with what to do. Afterwards. He he sends this angel to to Joseph and says, hey, Joseph, this baby Mary's carrying from God. He's the Messiah. He's the one who's going to save Israel from their sins. You're going to name him Jesus. Don't be afraid to take her as your wife. Because there was a lot of fear for Joseph to take Mary as his wife, a person that the community of Nazareth is going to know for all they knew was unfaithful to Joseph. That's going to confirm to them 
that Joseph isn't a righteous person, that he's willing to let this sin exist within their midst. And they're going to take their business for craftsmanship elsewhere. This is going to cost Joseph dearly. There was a reason why he was afraid to take Mary as his wife, and yet the angel says, hey, don't be afraid. Do this. Do this. And Joseph was receptive to what the angel had to say. We need to be receptive to God's word, to what God has for us. We can't get into this, into this mindset of thinking, oh, this is the plan that I've made. This is even the doctrine that I believe and not hold it loosely enough that when God comes and gives us better information, when God gives us guidance on what to do and what to believe, that we can't let go of what we held previously. Because Joseph's plan was a good plan for a righteous man. It would have kept him faithful to the covenant. There wasn't anything wrong with it except that it went against what God wanted. Joseph had to be receptive to the truth that God had for him. Would we change our mind? If God said, no, this is what I want you to do. Are we going to be so stuck in our ways that we're going to say, no, this is the way I'm going to go? Joseph was receptive to the truth God had for him. And not only was that, so Joseph was righteous, Joseph was receptive, but Joseph was also responsive. Notice what he did. He woke up, took Mary as his wife. He didn't let the iron cool. He didn't let the grass grow beneath his feet. He went up and he acted right away. He took Mary as his wife. He wasn't going to let that, like, no, this is what God has said, and I'm going to go and I'm going to do it. I think this is, this is where we get stuck so often, at least I get so stuck so often. God shows me, tells me, this is what I want you to do. I'm like, okay, let's do it. And then the time comes and like, the fear sets in. You start to second guess yourself. Did I really hear from God? Is this really what God wants me to do? And then what ends up happening is that we look at our lives and we wonder, why aren't we making any progress in following Jesus and our discipleship? Because we're not responsive to what God is calling us to do, what he is showing us to do. And then, when the baby is born, Joseph names him Jesus. This is significant. This isn't just a little add-on. The fact that Joseph names Jesus means that he is legally taking on the responsibility for Jesus. 
He legally becomes Jesus' father. He takes on all the criticism, all the things that people may say, takes it all on. He's going to raise Jesus as his own. See, we can't be concerned with what other people might say. We can't be concerned with what other what might happen if we follow Jesus. We need to do and take that step and say, I'm going to do this. I'm taking on this responsibility. I'm going to follow through with this. And just as a little side note here, because it's, it's interesting, Matthew, Matthew slips this in too. He says that Joseph doesn't have sexual relations with Mary until after Jesus is born. Hey, they're married. There's nothing that we read here that would have kept Joseph from doing that. Except here again, we see that Joseph is a man of righteousness and of self-control. If there is one thing that our culture is missing as a whole, it's self-control. We want to do what we want to do it, and we want to do it now. We don't have patience. We think if we have a desire, it needs to be met, it needs to be filled. But if we're going to truly be people that God created us to be, we need to be people of self-control. People who can say, no, that's not the way I should go. I need to delay this desire. I need to find other ways to do this. That is so crucial to be people of self-control if we're going to be people that God created us to be. So as much as Mary was highly favored and part of God's plan for Jesus, Joseph was too. He intervened to make sure that Joseph was Jesus' earthly father because there is no one that had a greater impact on Jesus' life than Joseph. Joseph was his father. He would have, the, all of Jesus' education would have come through Joseph. Their time working together as craftsmen, Jesus learning the family business, all that time with Joseph. There is something about God's heart that Joseph had that was communicated to Jesus. And I want to suggest this morning that it starts with the fact that Joseph was committed to the covenant God had. There was this loyal love Joseph had for God. Remember, Jesus told us that the basis of all law, 
the basis of how God wants his people to live is love. Love for God, and as we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that God's love fills us so that we can love our neighbor as ourselves. And so what makes people moral? That's really the wrong question. What makes us image bearers of God? To truly be an image bearer of God starts with our love. Starts with our commitment to Jesus, commitment to God above all else. That's what makes the difference. And so our bottom line this morning is this. Our commitment to God makes us available for God's plan in our lives. Our commitment to God makes us available for God's plan in our lives. If Joseph was not committed to God, he would have gone on with his plan and divorced Mary quietly. But because he was committed to God above all else, when God said, hey, don't be afraid, take Mary as your wife, he did that. Our commitment to God makes us available for God's plan in our lives. Our challenge this morning then is to take a step of faith and do that hard thing that God has called you to do. Take that step of faith and do that thing, that hard thing that God has for you to do. There's somebody that you need to forgive, that can be very difficult. Is there a charity, is there a mission that God wants you to give to? Like that, that's going to be a little bit of a sacrifice. There's somebody that you need to talk to. There's somebody that you need to help. Take that step of faith and do that hard thing that God has called you to do. Here in this Advent season, as we prepare our hearts and our lives for the second coming of Jesus, we need to follow Joseph's example and be righteous, receptive, and responsive. Advent is the season where we reflect on the first coming of Jesus as a way to prepare our hearts for his return. And even if your life might be filled with darkness, I, I hope that you will be encouraged because you remember that we have hope because God keeps his promises, because God kept his promise to send the Messiah first time, we can be confident that Jesus will return and make everything right. May God continue to bless you.